Hi, Dimitri. How are you? Sorry, I was sharing Hi, <laughs> all the information. How are you? Yeah, doing all right. Hope it's not too late. I guess it's almost 10 p.m. for some people. Uh, yeah, well, I think it will be fine. Um, uh, we'll wait um, around six more minutes. I'll start yeah, bringing yeah. people in. And uh, yeah, it will, it takes always a little bit of time for the room to fill up. Don't yeah, I totally get it. Yeah, of course. That's why I start a little bit earlier, but I think people know I start earlier, so you know. <laughs> Everyone knows now. <laughs> Hi Denise, how are you? Come up. Hi Nas. You guys wanna come and up to the stage? How are you? Haven't seen you in a while. Hi Katarina. Pleasure to see you. Oh, Dimitri. I'm, I'm just going to change my PTR real quick because I don't know how well this is going to play. <laughs> yeah, I almost didn't recognize you. What, what's, the, what's the PTR about? Well, we'll change it to something a little bit more spectacular like the stars. So this is very exciting work. I'm really looking forward to this presentation. Yeah, thank you. Hope I'll give a little bit more of the general introduction as well, not just focus on this specific work. Absolutely. Yeah. Did you have anything good to eat today? I'm sorry? Did you have anything good to eat today? Uh, nothing special. <laughs> Still Thursday, you know, Friday's tomorrow. <laughs> oh, okay. So it's special plans for tomorrow. Yeah, usually, yeah, for me. Does, I don't know if um, here in New York there's no, it's probably something I didn't know before, but a bunch of places have this summer. Um, watermelon salad with like feta cheese and and like salad and stuff did you ever try this it's so good <laughs> it's really good i never ate watermelon with feta cheese or any other cheese before but it's really good yeah i think i've heard of the combination but i don't think i've tried this I have tried it and I am a fan. It's uh, not even that hard to make at home if you want it to. Yeah, me, yeah, for the summer, like usually I like gazpacho and stuff, but this summer I've been eating that salad all the time in like different ways of combinations. It's really good. Uh, she's converted. Yes. I. <laughs> You know, my grandmother used to all, or she used to love, always eat fruit with real food. You know, she always mixes fruit with, I don't know, rice and meat and stuff. And I've never been a fan, but this time I am. 
Was the was the watermelon grilled this time, perhaps? No, actually, it's just raw. I never tried watermelon with like she she usually uses like pineapple and stuff. You know, like oh, other. Yeah. Grilled uh, watermelon and pineapple are fantastic. If you've never tried, I do recommend. Oh, I have to try it. No, I've never tried it. I will. Hi, everyone. Uh, we'll start in a few minutes. Thanks for coming. Uh, share the room if you feel like there's something you would like to share. Hi, Katie. How are you? Haven't talked with you also in a bunch of days. Come up. Dimitri, have you tried either grilled pineapple or watermelon? I don't think so. No. One weirdest thing I tried in Texas is the deep fried pickles. Surprisingly tasty. <laughs> yeah, that, that definitely can be very tasty, especially if it's with a beer batter and a beer. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so when I came to the U.S., there, uh, I moved first to North Carolina, and we went to a fair, and there's like there was like fried everything, and these humongous turkey legs that people would just hand, hold in their hands and eat it. You ever see that? You ever went to a fair in like the South? Sounds like yeah. a Renaissance fair in the North. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's like, I don't know, like everyone was running around with this huge um, uh, turkey legs. Uh, maybe it's just in North Carolina, I don't know. Anyone else? Maybe in the room, whatever. It's like a whole turkey leg in the head. Katie, Probably is good. that a thing down in Australia? Do do people walk around at uh, at fairs with giant turkey legs eating them? <laughs> no, not really. Hi, loves. Good to be in a room with you guys. I'm excited for this conversation. But no, no big turkey legs at fairs. Kangaroo legs, maybe? No? Maybe a little. Possibly, bit. possibly. That's more um, apt for Australia. Yeah, I ate kangaroo meat. At some point, it's it was it was not bad. It was pretty good, actually. So Denise asked if Dimitri um, ate something good today. That's how we came up with the topic. But um, I promise everyone, that's not the main topic today. <laughs> he didn't come here to listen to my watermelon salad conversation. <laughs> unless unless it raises your blood pressure. <laughs> right. 
that's true. Oh my God, that so, could be a totally an experiment. See what the differential is when people consume watermelon. I think that would be an interesting little tie-in. <laughs> right. Hi, Dr. Shah. I'm so happy the oh, the crew is back here. So happy. To Hi, see Katerina and everyone. Happy to be here. Hi. Yeah. Thank you. Me too. Okay. Um. So Yay, just. Oh yeah, it's it's so great to see everyone. Hi Susan, hi Julie, hi Amy. Um, yeah, it's wonderful to see everyone. So um, I shared um the papers with the links and the open source links that um, Dimitri shared with me earlier in the chat. So um, if you want to look at them, copy the links um, for further reading later on, please do so. Um, and um, the presentation is pinned on top. But before we start, let's um, introduce our guest speaker here today. And uh, we'll go from there. So welcome everyone to Science Society and a special Warm welcome to our guest speaker here, um, Dimi Dr. Dimitri Kirev, and I hope I'm saying the name uh, the name right this time. <laughs> I'm really bad with saying names right. Um, and uh, let me um, give you a little bit of information um, about uh, Dr. Dimitri Kirev. He is currently a research associate at the University of Texas at Austin. And he is working on merging the fields of 2D materials, bioelectronics, neuromorphics, and biomedical engineering. And he is contributing um, to the development of bioelectronic devices with long-lasting implications in healthcare and medicine. And um, he's currently work collaborating with uh, Professor Dei Aki one day and Professor John Ann Incorvia and a mother amongst other faculty members at the UT Austin and um, he is really interested and committed to advancing the field of bioelectronics using 2D materials and uh, Dimitri he did his PhD at the Institute of Bioelectronics of um, Forschungszentrum Jülich and RWTH Aachen, University, Germany. And there he worked on graphene-based devices for neuronal, neuronal and cardiac in vitro bioelectronics. And he is uh, also the recipient of the prestigious M Nano Scholarship. And he performed his master's at the KU Leuven and Kalmus University of Technology with um, majors in nanoelectronics. And oh, when he is not doing science, he likes to brew his own beer, uh, which is really cool. So welcome, Dimitri. We are so honored having you here. And before we start, <laughs> if that's okay with you, we'll I'll ask you like a couple of questions. Um, so how come you're in science? Like, um, 
you know, how how did you choose your career path or your life uh, in science? Was there maybe something like parents, a teacher, a book, something like that, that sparked your interest? Yeah, thank you. So first of all, Katerina, thank you very much for, for this very lengthy introduction. And I'll be happy to talk about beer brewing as well at the end if somebody is interested in. Um, to your question, um, you know, I've been thinking about it, you know, have a lot of this kind of conversations. How come you're in science? Why did it come here? Why are you doing this? Honestly, no idea. It, you know, I never had this defining moment when I knew, you know, somebody says, oh, I knew since childhood, I want to be a professor. I want to be in science. It's never been this situation for me. It was always, I don't know, I guess just sort of went with the flow. And it's just, you know, things happen. I just like where I am right now, I enjoy it. There was one pivotal moment when I moved from nano and quantum electronics to bioelectronics. And I guess I can, I will talk about it a little bit later. Okay, yeah. Um, you know, I think it's really interesting to learn like everyone's path, you know, how they became who they are today or <laughs> working on what they are today. So thank you for sharing that. and. Um, yeah. for this uh, project, um, was th is there maybe like some in like some backstory behind the scenes story that people could learn about? Like, was it hard to get this project together? Was it very easy? Was you know did people believe that you can do it? Like, is there maybe something? That you would like well, to share. Yeah, it was so I think this project was sort of long in the brewing. Uh even a little maybe approximately when I came to the US. So I came to the US for the postdoc and I started working with uh, Professor Ekin Wanda at UC Austin. And we were working on graphene tattoos and you know, we we're always looking for well, let's say killer applications, right? So like these graphene tattoos, they're cool, nice, we can use it for ECG or brain activity, heart activity monitoring, all of this stuff is what's say cool and interesting, but you know, it's this is something that you can do with other devices as well, even with modern ones. We we're really looking into the killer application. And that was uh, there is was there is one of uh, uh, really long term collaborators from Professor Akimande, um, Dr. Ruzbe Jafari from Texas A&M University, and he is an expert in uh, blood pressure, computer science, and so let's say computer science, electrical engineering, biomedical engineering, and specific focus on uh, monitoring blood pressure using let's say more standard devices and this is where we really saw in the beginning that this is really the match where you know we could have a really big impact using the graphene tattoos for continuous long-term cuffless blood pressure monitoring so something that you can make you know yourself maybe at home without visiting a doctor for example yeah i guess that would be the story <laughs> yeah interesting yeah i i I heard that many discussions from medical doctors um, and about this. So I agree, it's really important and a great indicator, but I don't want to take away from your presentation. I know it's a really cool and beautiful presentation. So the stage is yours. Um, uh, we will mod like look at the chat and bring people up when they have questions. And um, yeah, thank you for 
making this wonderful presentation for us. Yeah. Thanks. Of course. Yeah, of course. Thank you. And I know it's quite late time for some of you, more later and you know, maybe a little bit earlier for others. Uh, so I just want to make it you know, a little bit easier, a little bit lighter. And I would love to answer questions. You know, once they come, I might... I'm using my phone actually right now, also, and I try to make my presentations a little bit more fun, uh, viewing friendly. So I hope you'll find them useful. Um, there is also lots of videos. Usually I have lots of videos, but I couldn't because then the file would be too heavy. So I put a lot of links and like QR codes in the presentation for your own quick reference. So you can click on the link and it gets you to the, this I usually supplementary information from, from our videos. Uh, sometimes it's a little bit difficult for me to monitor the chat for the question. So I would appreciate if somebody just unmute yourself and just ask a question right away. All right. So yeah, let me then move on to the presentation itself. So yeah, I guess I'll just point you to the slide numbers uh, if you're interested in. Um, so, you know, I will start with about myself and Katarina has already introduced that uh, I've done my, well, so I've done my PhD, oh, sorry, not PhD too late. So I did my uh, bachelor's and master's in uh, National Research University in uh, Moscow, in, uh, in Russia. And that was, as I mentioned, was more about, well, quantum physics, nanoelectronics, uh, semiconductors, solid state. And that was pretty much the, the basic of my undergraduate education. And um, after that, you know, at the end of my master's, I got accepted into this amazing European Erasmus Mundus Master Nano program. And that was between two universities, KU Leuven in, in uh, Belgium and Chalmers University of Technology in Sweden. And that was really amazing program, you know, like uh, the interface of bio and the, the people who did bio, the people who did electronics. And uh, sometime by the end of my master's, I was at the conference, I was presenting something I did in, I, I believe in my internship during IMEC. And then I saw a poster, there was like a poster about people using graphene transistor, and then they grew cell on top of it, and then they measured the electrical activity of the cell. I had no idea at the time that it's possible. I just saw it and I, it just fascinated me at the time. I thought, this is amazing. This is something I really love and it's something I think I want to do my PhD on. Just clicked in me, applied for my PhD for one open PhD position and I started working there three months later. And that was uh, in a group of Andreas Offenhäuser in Forschungszentrum Jülich. And so like it's a research center in Jülich in Germany. And I got my, you know, at the end, I got my PhD degree from Herbert and because the degree has to be given by the university. So then I did like a very quick stop as a postdoc on a, in the same in, in institute. And then I decided again to sort of just expand my own expertise while working with studio materials. So all this time I was also still working with studio materials. And then I decided that I need to expand my expertise. And I then this is when I joined Professor Akimwanda Group and UT Austin, working on variable ETA2 applications and maybe using them for uh, you know, some kind of variable bioelectronics. Yeah, so that was about me. Let's move on to more uh, the main part of the presentation, right, the bioelectronics. So if you can look at, uh, for example, slide three, right, we have bioelectronics that's uh, everywhere around us. Electricity, electronics is within human body. 
and uh, you know the birth of bioelectronics or you know it, it all started pretty much over 200 and what is it 20 to 150 years ago with luigi galvani and if you can uh, there are there are links on slide four i don't know if you if you if you haven't been familiar with the frog experiment when they decided to apply uh, electrical potential to the you know nerve of the frog leg and it started moving there was a lot of misconceptions at the time of what exactly was happening, but that, you know, we could decide that this is pretty much the birth of bioelectronics uh, at this at this moment. And if you then go to slide five, there is a little bit of messy uh, slide, let's say, on modern bioelectronics, right? So on one side, you have biobiology of DNA, you have uh, brain, you have organs, you have heart, you have just in individual neurons. On the other side, you have microelectronics, high-density boards, microchips, supercomputers, antennas. And, you know, both of them work on a very different set of um, properties in a way. So, like, bios, bio, biological part is very soft. It's elastic. It's living, organic. It's very complex, but also changing all the time. And it, very important, it consumes very low power. On the other side, you have electronics, which is hard, rigid, programmable, yes, but it's inorganic and consumes way uh, larger power, but it's not the main part of this talk, at least. The softness, rigidity, and uh, being organic and organic, this is pretty much the biggest problem of current bioelectronics and current problem of incompatibility of, let's say, silicon or your... Um, electronic systems that you currently have in your computer, you cannot really put it in your brain or in your tissue just because they're incompatible on the uh, fundamental level. And uh, what I highlighted on slide number six, that 2D materials, you know, in contrast to silicon, in contrast to uh, any kind of rigid devices, this is a potential solution. They are soft, they're elastic, they're transparent, they're skin conformable, as you can see on the example of uh, graphene tattoo on the right part of the slide. They are, you know, while they're being soft and elastic, they're also strong, they're organic, they're very thin and flexible and biocompatible. There has been a lot of misconceptions about biocompatibility of the 2D materials, especially graphene. Um, I can very uh, concretely tell you that the devices, that, at least the graphene that we use, uh, to make uh, graphene tattoos and most of the, you know, say electronic circuits, it is very biocompatible. And uh, I'll be happy to get into this discussion later if somebody is interested in. On slide seven, you can see, you know, a huge family of 2D materials. I don't know if some of you might be familiar, some might be not. You know, besides graphene that has been uh, in the place since 2004, so almost 20 years now, or 18. Um, there is a big family of these 2D materials, even like single, you know, graphene as a single uh, hexagonal structure of carbon. You have boronin, silicin, germanin, stannin, phosphorine, and then you have transition metal decalcogenides, MOS2, WS2, WT2, etc. So there is over 100, maybe even few hundreds of different 2D materials that have been already studied, have been already predicted theoretically. Some of these 2D materials have been predicted theoretically if you date maybe 40, 50 years back, actually. But right now they are being made and there are a lot of exciting electronic and 
translated to let's say bioelectronic properties of these 2d materials which i personally think we can finally explore and make some final devices that useful for let's say modern healthcare in a in a in a very short term uh, for modern healthcare applications on slide eight i show a little bit of the um, say importance again of 2d materials that most of them specifically graphene and some other ones they have really good electrical and electrochemical properties they are flexible they have high carrier mobility uh biocompatibility as i mentioned um very important is there is a high surface to volume ratio and there is a big uh, sort of sensitivity of the uh, of the surface of these 2d materials to what's happening in the surrounding just because you know you have this atomically thin layer of atoms that pretty much exposed to the environment the whole bulk of the material is exposed to the environment and this is why they're excellent sensors biosensors or electronic tattoos as uh, i will explain in the very big details later so if you go to the next slide slide eight right so we might think of electronic tattoos as uh, this kind of um, qr codes or barcodes at the back of the hand i wonder if uh, you know people want to speak up about what are the other applications or alternatives of e-tattoos you might, you know, have in your mind? Say when, when, when somebody says electronic tattoos, what pops into your head? Nothing. This is literally the first time I've ever heard of it, but I, I bet I'm the only one. Okay. Well, all right. I mean, you, you can probably, you know, think of just some kind of sci-fi movies, right? I believe there was a movie where there was some kind of implant, like time implant in the head, and they were paying with it, this kind of electronic tattoos, for example. So there are a lot of sci-fi applications or sci-fi visions of that. And if you go to slide 10, this is the graphene electronic tattoos that uh, we have in mind. This is the electronic tattoos that we uh, work with in the lab. They are made of uh, atomically thin CVD-grown graphene that is supported by a very thin 200 nanometer uh, layer of PMMA. It's a very classical polymer. So as you can see, you know, we can place, you know, a big array, a huge number of these devices on the skin, and it is very conformable. As you can see on the picture to the on the top right, right, so it is even conforms to the micro cracks and like really small uh, microstructure of your skin. And this is the big advantage of the graphene tattoos over any other variables. And then uh, on slide 11, I have this highlight uh, vision of why do we think it is important? Or for example, where could these uh, devices be used for? And on one side, let's say on, on, the, on the left side, you can see this uh, text that says direct sensing that you can measure you know, heart activity, muscle activity, brain activity, ocular touch, temperature, vision. It is sort of, I call it direct because this is sort of simple and straightforward these days. And it is a very uh, easy to transform from one signal to electrical and very easy to interpret it. On the other side, you have this indirect sensing of very complex uh, values such as cardiovascular, blood pressure, metabolism, 
lung, local vibra vibrators, uh, vibrations, sweat circulation. So these are very complex values that also you cannot simply record. And these are some values that you need a few steps of, of measurement from to go from A to Z. There is usually a lot of machine learning involved. So you need to employ a lot of sort of AI, machine learning, big data to correlate this measurement that you do to the real world, to the final applications. And um, also a lot of these applications such as cardiovascular, I mean, they are deadly. I mean, as you can see on my on, on the picture on the bottom right, cardiovascular diseases uh, related death relate to approximately 18 million deaths per year, which is pretty much two populations of New York City each year. So, and on the other side, if you Google, you can probably even find this, uh, World Health Organization says that majority of the cardiovascular diseases can actually be prevented by the lifestyle changes. So most of these diseases that happen, it is possible to prevent them. But the problem is we do not have technologies to detect them, to correlate what we're doing, the lifestyle that they would lead to the problem. This is my personal big vision to have this kind of device, to have this kind of long-term monitoring sensing, indirect sensing doesn't have to, you know, measure all of it, but it can tell you, okay, Dmitry, you've been drinking too much beer for the rest, uh, for the for the last week or month. If you'll be on the same path for the next year, you will have a problem with your blood pressure in in, in five years. This is the big vision of this work specifically. And on the next slide, you can actually, you know, Let's now look a little bit back into the past, right? So we can think of what has been done and how did it come to, you know, let's say even classical electrophysiology. And there is a picture, a black and white picture of the first electrocardiogram developed by William Eindhoven uh, way over 100 years ago, 120 years ago, and they got the Nobel Prize uh, in 1924. And this is a machine that takes pretty much the whole room you know, the person puts their hands in the salty water and there is a whole machine that, you know, applies electricity and measures the uh, cardiac uh, signal. They made amazing science at the time, but is it really variable? Is it something that you can, uh, you know, do this at home every day? No. Luckily, there has been electronic tattoos that uh, there are a few examples on, on the next slide. Uh, there are electronic tattoos uh, that have been done, have been developed over the last decade using gold, organic semiconductors um, that have been measuring, you know, electrical activity, brain activity, or uh, ECG, such as heart activity. So it is done. People are working on that and, you know, thinning contemporary electronics down and being able to put it on the skin, it is great. But can we do better? And on the next slide, slide 14, this is uh, the first attempts on using the graphene tattoos for electrocardiograms. As you can see, they're placed on the chest, on figure A. Uh, there is an array of graphene electronic tattoos, GETs. This is the GET, stands for graphene electronic tattoos. Um, so they're placed on the skin, on the chest, uh, and they're measured uh, ECG signals pretty much with the same quality as your doctor would do. You can also measure EMG, electromyography. Uh, so this is muscular activity of your any muscle you have on the 
uh, on well, any muscle you have, and you can measure the same EMG signal with pretty much the same quality. By the way, I made most of the links uh, on this slide clickable in the case if you want to have a uh, quick access so you don't have to Google them. Yes, so now this is slide 15. There should be a video, so uh, if, you, if you're able, just go ahead and click on the link, scan the QR code, or go to this a very recent Nature Nano publication in the supplementary information. And there is a video on how these uh, graphene tattoos are placed on. I can just talk over it a little bit while maybe some of you are, are going in there. So um, the the way these graphene tattoos work is uh, pretty much the same as you've probably been doing when you were in the, in the childhood with this temporary tattoo, temporary image tattoos that you had on a piece of paper. You make it wet, you put it on the skin, you apply a little bit of water, and then you just slide off the paper or you say remove the paper. And then you just have the image part on the skin. And in our case, we have the graphene tattoo sticking on the skin while this paper is gone. So this is uh, the, the classical transfer of the graphene tattoos that we are doing. And uh, we can do this on uh, like normal scale. Let's say just one tattoo at a time, or you can you can you can transfer a whole array, such as in this case, there are six tattoos that are transferred at the same time. So then again on slide sixteen, there are a few more videos. So just just bear with me. Uh, on the screenshots on the on the slides, you can actually see there is an array of something like twelve graphene tattoos on your wrist. And on the videos, you can see that we are pouring the water, or the the wrist has been moved uh, very rigorously, and the tattoos are still staying on the skin. So this is really. Uh, uh, and the most important part, it's not that they just stain on the skin, but they stain at exactly the same location where we place them on. I will, go, I will come to this specific point on why it is important specifically for blood pressure. I'll come to this uh, probably a few slides uh, later. Um, on slide 17, there is a little bit of, of the graph and uh, there are some details. Uh, let me just walk you through that as well. Um, when we started working with the with the graphene tattoos, uh, we started using well monolayer graphene tattoo. Just imagining that this is the best, uh, highest quality graphene we could come with, and this is what we've been doing. But uh, the more we, we we were using this monolayer graphene devices, the more we realized that one layer graphene is prone to problems. It is prone to simple small cracks, small. Uh, problem in the performance, so there is, you know, a little bit of crack or a, a fault in the graphene would result in a really big change in performance. And in this, uh, in this case, there are two performance metrics that we've been using. Uh, this uh, graphene tattoos to skin impedance, that's on a graph A, and the sheet resistance, that's on graph B. So you want the lowest impedance and the lowest resistance. Uh, and as you can see, the monolayer, single layer graphene devices usually have, first of all, the highest impedance and the highest resistance, which is bad. But on the other hand, what's even worse is that they have the highest standard deviation of this performance. So we could have one device that it performs really well, but then we could have another device that performs really bad. 
And this is worse than just if we could have all devices that perform bad, but then consistently we could work with it. But this inconsistency is the problem. So then we developed the problem, the process of making bilayer and trilayer graphene devices pretty much sticking one graphene to one graphene onto another graphene. Uh, while having it all within a single PMMA. And this uh, seemed to have solved the issue. And uh, with these days, we're typically going with uh, two-layer graphene tattoos. I will not, there, there are a few pickles here about graphene nanoscrolls. This is what GNS stands for. I, I wouldn't want to cover this now. Uh, I'll be happy to discuss this later if somebody's interested in. Uh, again, the links are clickable if you are interested in. So now, you know, let's think of the applications and we'll slowly get into the to this work of blood pressure, right? So what are the applications? So like just, if you can go to slide 18, just imagine, just think of what you can do, right? You can have this kind of EEG implants or uh, let's say your heart activity uh, sensors. You can wake up in the morning and you can think about the coffee and the coffee machine would start brewing, right? Or you could just sit by your, you know, sit on your bed and think about your next uh, amazing grant application idea, and it just connects to your work, and it will type it yourself. So maybe sometime in the future. Uh, of course, easier you can just connect it to robotic hands or um, drones, for example, right? So like to, to have the flying drone, and this has actually been done. If you look at uh, slide nineteen. Uh, again, there is also a video, so if you want, uh, while I'm explaining it, click on the link and there will be a video about that. So, for uh, this is an application of human-machine interfacing using uh, graphene tattoos, the work that was actually performed slightly before I came to, to UT Austin. And uh, we sort of re-featured this in a recent Nature Protocols paper as well. So the technology is called uh, electrooculography. So, you know, if you look up, down, left or right uh, with your eyes, there is a certain depolarization happening within between cornea and retina of your eye. And this is called electrooculography. So if you then tune this, if you can pick up the signal, put it into open BCI, uh, this is a, uh, a simple device that actually costs something like $500. Uh, you can connect it uh, to this open BCI that, uh, that is wireless, you wirelessly connected to the laptop, and then you wirelessly connected to the drone. And in the video, if you look, and there are a few screenshots here, uh, when the person is looking up, there is a small delay uh, just because of the programming and the computer issue. But when you, the person looks up, the drone flies up. When the person looks down, the drone flies down, etc. The person looks left, the, the, the drone flies left. So this is uh, just one amazing application of the graphene tattoos. And it is really important that you can put them on the, on, on the face, right? You wouldn't want to wear uh, something that's visible. Imagine you have this invisible kind of graphene tattoos on the skin and you can control some robot uh, with just your gaze. I find this amazing. And so now let's move on to just go to slide 20. There is a... a picture of a human hand, could probably be mine, um, uh, with an array of the graphene tattoos. And this was the, the, the latest work that we use these graphene tattoos to monitor human arterial blood pressure entirely cufflessly. So then if you go to slide 21, there is a small snapshot of a 
um, of a human in a, in in a 3D with arteries that's coming out of the heart, and uh, in a, yeah, unfortunately, this is just a snapshot. This is this is a, this has been a gif. <laughs> so you know, when when your heart beats, there is a, the the blood flows through your veins, through your arteries. First of all, through your arteries, then through your veins. So the blood goes through your arteries, and while going through the artery, there is a small change in volume everywhere that propagates. Imagine like there, there is like a small bulb of blood that goes through the heart. And this is the indirect feature that we are recording. So if you go on slide number 22, so we're using this technology, so-called bioimpedance, that is pretty much for probe sensing technology. For those of you familiar with, let's say, Kelvin probe or four probe resistance measurements, right? So if you, let's say, if you have two probe sensing, you apply the potential and you measure the current or the other way around through the same two probes, you are limited by the interface. So and in this case of measuring from the skin, the interface would be in tens of kilohms of impedance. Now, if you're doing the four probe sensing, you're actually injecting the current on the outer um, electrodes and measure the voltage at the inner electrodes. And by doing this kind of separation, you actually bypass this uh, interface impedance and you only measure impedance of the tissue. In this case, there is something like one ohm. And by doing that, the impedance of the tissue is then, uh, that is actually very nicely explained on slide 23. So on the right, there is there are these graphs. In A, this is a standard, you know, volumetric arterial volume change of the of the blood flow. You know, when, when you have systolic pressure and diastolic pressure, the, the, the volume changes, uh, the volume of the artery changes. And because the volume of the artery changes, the recorded by Z, the bioimpedance changes. So we can correlate this, uh, the, the shape of the, uh, of the, bioimpedance to the blood pressure. I have to say it is a little bit a little bit way more complicated than just this kind of correlation. There is no one-to-one -one correlation on y-axis and this is the most uh, difficult part. So this is actually if you you know this why slide 24 we're back to the same picture but now I want to explain it in a little bit more detail just go to slide number 25. Right so as I mentioned we have this two probe sensing sorry four probe sensing but we are actually having four of this four probe sensing. So we're measuring bias one, bias two, bias three, and bias four. Specifically, because we don't just want to measure the uh, local change in the in the volume, but if we want to change how this volume changes over time while it propagates from uh, let's say location A to location B. And this propagation relates to the time and because it relates to the time, it's a velocity and velocity of this volume change is then correlated to blood pressure. In reality, it is even way more complex. Uh, we'll get to there. So yeah, in reality, there is way more complex because you need to employ uh, an actual machine learning, there is other boost machine learning system that is used to actually correlate the biases signals that we record to the actual blood pressure that is also recorded, but uh, there is a, a little bit more complex um, correlation system that's happening there. 
Um, and as I mentioned, this self-adhesiveness and ability to stay in exactly the same location is essential. So imagine that you have this, you know, you, 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 you build this system for, you know, measuring, uh, measuring the blood pressure, you correlated the biasy signals that we recorded electrically to the blood pressure. And then you say, okay, now I go, you know, unintentionally, and then let's say at some point, one of your electrodes is just moved by three millimeters. In this case, your whole system that you've built is gone. So this is exactly why you cannot do this with dry electrodes. You cannot do this with wristbands. You can hardly do this with gel electrodes because they dry and move around a little bit. So graphene tattoos are specifically important here because they stay in the same location and we can very uh, correctly record it from the same time over a very long period of time. Then slide number 26, I will be very quick with it. Honestly, this is not my expertise as well. So this, this shows uh, uh, the whole uh, experimental electrical circuit diagram that, uh, that of this uh, recording system. And uh, this is done uh, mainly by our collaborators at Texas A&M University uh, by uh, Cancel, who is the co-first author actually of this paper. Um, but few more slides on the details of this blood pressure work. So if you go to slide 27, so the way we did the measurement is that we had this arrays of these graphene tattoos on the human wrist, usually on the left one. And then, well, we could have just measured blood pressure at static, but then we would just have pretty much always the same kind of blood pressure uh, signal over time. Instead, what we did is that each subject, and we had six subjects uh, doing this experiment, and there was one subject that was doing cycling, but there is so-called cold presser and hand grip experiment, for short, CPHG. So that means that the person for two minutes, I might be wrong with minutes, not quote me on that. So for a few minutes, a subject is exercising with the hand grip very strongly. So your blood pressure raises a little bit. And if you exercise with hand grip excessively for two to three minutes, uh, believe me, your, your heart rate and your blood pressure will go up very rapidly. And then uh, when this exercise is done, usually if you just stop exercising, your, your blood pressure goes to normal very quickly. Instead, we wanted to prolong this change in blood pressure by placing then the uh, human hand into the uh, ice bucket. So the bucket with ice cold water. And uh, what happens is then you, you know, you, you record a very prolonged change in blood pressure in both systolic, SBP and diastolic DBP blood pressure. And this is the scattered diagram on the right. That's what you see for, see there are six different colors, six different subjects. And uh, for each subject, you know, depending on their normal blood pressure, depending how hard they exercise, what they've done, they recorded a range of blood pressure. And this is very important. This is not just a single static measurement that we've done. And then by, uh, if you go to the next slide, slide 28, this is a major figure of merit uh, and uh, correlation. So this is for diastolic blood pressure. We have the same for systolic, uh, just didn't want to clutter it. Uh, but this is, this is the, uh, this is based on IEEE guidance for uh, any cuffless blood pressure monitoring devices. There are two parameters, you know, when you analyze performance of your device, and that is absolute of mean error and standard deviation. Um, 
and you want well obviously you want both of them to be lower and to be in, in our case we have absolute of mean error almost close to zero i believe it is something like 0 0.5 0 0.3 uh, of uh, millimeter of mercury and we have the standard deviation of 4.5 so it falls really well to the so-called grade a performance of the blood measure uh, blood monitoring devices um, you know in the same way as capacitive sensors or omron that is cuff or, or there is so-called uh, i don't don't remember which the company is doing it but it's a it's a small watch cuff device that's measuring blood pressure still using cuff so we are even better than these uh, devices. And what you can see on slide number 29, that is another very big importance of the work is that, as I mentioned, we don't just measure individual single blood pressure values as you would do with the cuff, right? The cuff inflates, deflates, and you get one volume. What we have, we have continuous change of this blood pressure over time. We can monitor it. So, uh, you can imagine that that's important for people with um, the certain diseases that uh, that that when, when, when a big change in blood pressure would be a correlative factor of uh, of a disease, or just in general, it might be important to monitor blood pressure over a long period of time, which is currently hardly possible. Um, and it is done in very high grade uh, accuracy. I have to say, in this case, this is we've, each subject here has been measured for something like five, five plus hours. Uh, overall, we got something like 45 minutes to one hour on average per person of really continuous uh, blood pressure monitoring. And uh, we could do this for almost a day. And there, there has been subject that, that have been wearing this device for almost 24 hours. Wearing the same graphene tattoos for multiple days is really impossible. You would, you would, you, you, it is still possible to scratch them off uh, and just remove them. So what we've actually done, I don't have the, the slide for that, but what we've done is uh, we had this blood pressure on the subject, let's say on day one, we performed the measurement, we performed the machine learning, we had the system. And then on day four, the subject came back, we put new set of the graphene tattoos approximately on the same locations. So it is not exactly the same location, but approximately. And then we re-recorded the blood pressure and we could still uh, monitor uh, the, blood, the blood pressure very well. Although in this case, I believe we dropped a little bit in accuracy, we were in grade C uh, for that uh, specific application. So on slide 30, you can actually, again, there is a link and a QR code. So there is a whole video of one subject that's doing this exercises. So on the screenshot, you can see the subject sitting with the left hand on the table with, you know, wired connected to the electronic system. The right hand is exercising with the, great, uh, with the hand grip and there is this code presser uh, tool that once the uh, hand grip is done, then uh, the person put this, uh, the hand in the uh, code presser. I, I have 10 more slides on other stuff besides blood pressure. Perhaps I'll just go quickly over that and uh, then we can just have a discussion, I guess. So there are, yeah, there are just a few slides on future bioelectronics. If you go to slide uh, 31, this is my personal vision of 2D bioelectronics using indirect or direct blood pressure, some kind of neuromorphic devices, human machine interfaces, electronic skin, etc. 
so on slide 32, I'm featuring another kind of set of electronic tattoos, this time using so-called PTSE2 and PTTE2. These are platinum-based transitional metal dechalcogenides. These are part of the devices, 2D materials that I uh, featured in the beginning of my talk. Uh, what's the beauty of these specific 2D materials is that they can be grown at rather low temperature. I quote unquote low temperature because it is 400 degrees Celsius. It is could be considered large for some people, but for all kind of, all material science folks, this is really low temperature. And uh, graphene is usually grown at hundred, uh, sorry, almost thousand degrees Celsius. So you can grow this material at very low temperature. Means you can actually do this directly on flexible substrate. And then, uh, well, on slide thirty three again, you've seen this kind of uh, impedance over sheet resistance plot, right? So this figure of merit. So you want as low sheet uh, resistance and as low uh, impedance. We compared PTSE2 to PTT to the platinum to and to monolayer graphene to gold and to normal silicon chloride gel electrodes. And what we found was actually a little bit expectedly is that PTT2 outperforms really platinum PTSE2 and even monolayer graphene by far and it performs better than even bilayer graphene. I, it was sort of expected or it's anticipated based on other works because PTT2 is known to be a uh, highly conductive semi-metal or even a metal and is uh, nanometers of the metal so it performs really well and on slide 34 you can see you know the same applications of these uh, graphene tattoos for electrocardiogram, electromyogram, electroencephalogram and uh, electrooculogram so like measuring your uh, ocular activity in the same way as i've already introduced earlier so i will not stop too much on that this is just just to highlight that there are other 2d materials that could perform let's say on par with graphene and maybe even better in certain applications um and then the last uh, work that I want to highlight, uh, this is not so much on the variables. If you can go on uh, slide 35, uh, this is a very recent work. We we still uh, in, in the process of publishing it, but you can find it on BioArchive. Um, uh, what we've done is we encapsulate pretty much these graphene tattoos also within uh, silicon elastomers and on uh, another example with uh, with another layer of PMMA. And we made a very, this pretty much the smallest cardiac implants ever, and uh, we tested this on the on the open heart in vivo and ex vivo. So you can see the picture on the, this uh, slide thirty five figure D. So this uh, this kind of uh, graphene bio interface was placed on the actual live heart ex vivo for measuring electrical activity, but not only measuring. So you didn't we didn't just measure the uh, activity of the heart, but we also managed to use these graphene tattoos to simulate uh, the heart. And it's important for some kind of uh, deficiencies of the heart, such as arrhythmia. And this is what you can see on slide number 36. This was done on a live uh, red, I believe, I might be wrong. Um, this was done in collaboration with uh, with Professor Yefimov group um, of uh, George Washington University, and uh, what we've done is there was a rat that uh, had this uh, AV block introduced. This is uh, I don't know if there are biologists here, um, cardiologists. Uh, this is pretty much similar 
think the what uh, cardiac ischemia, not the ischemia, cardiac arrhythmia does. So you do have, as you can see on the slide F, there are four P waves, but there are no QRS, uh, QRS uh, pathways. So there is only one QRS per four P waves. So this is a this means there is a problem. There is uh, the heart doesn't perform well. Then once this is detected, at some point we started doing the pacing, so sending electrical signals through the perfine tattoo and uh, we could restore the normal QRS pathway by uh, sending the signal. So we could simultaneously measure, detect this problem and stimulate to solve it. And this is a really good advantage of the graphene tattoos. And again, they stay in, on there. They don't disturb the heart just because they're soft and uh, small and flexible. Let's go to the conclusions and outlooks of this slide 37. And uh, this is what I want to really highlight here that uh, this uh, there's a lot of you know uh, bias sensing that we can do there is a lot of really great application of 2d materials for uh, bioelectronics or some kind of manufacturing uh, additional manufacturing of 2d materials still needed because uh, the, the the field is growing but uh, I, I would say it hasn't grown far yet so there is a lot of um, input needed to really enable large scale, you know, variable electronic circuits. And as you can see on the, on the bottom left, I have this kind of vision of let's say ideal variable that could be, you know, built-in decision elements besides sensing elements that we already have. We could have built-in decision elements that would have skin-like textures, for example, would be completely imperceptible to the skin, have wireless self-powered system that also technologies exist right now and uh, also sweat and uv permeable that is very important for some of the applications um, yeah that's pretty much it on slide 38 i have uh, i have to acknowledge of course the collaborators and uh, uh, my advisors and other phd postdocs and grad students have been working on over this time and thank you all for your attention Thank you so much for this amazing presentation and for this work. It's so fascinating and I can't even, you know, it's it's so amazing. Um, usually I'm not so <laughs> stupid, like, but I don't know what else, what other word to say. Um, especially, so for the cardiac pulses, like, what's the, the, the source? to give them actual pulses? Do you need some type of electrical source outside? Like, how, how does it work? Yeah, so you mean for this, for the last application on the on-heart electrophysiology? Yeah. Yeah, so I mean, it, it is pretty much R&D set up right now, and there is a commercial tool, I don't remember what it's called, but it's like a very standard device. Yes, you, we do have wires, it's all wired right now. Uh, so you do have a set of wires that come from a device that send this uh, pulse through the graphene into the heart. Oh, so you would have like a battery uh, somewhere. Um, yeah. Yeah, but, I guess. Yeah, flat. looking looking into the future, yes. Like if we imagine like a whole wearable, let's say a whole implantable over the long time, yes, we would need some implanted battery as well. Yeah, that's. Um... Yeah, but that's really fascinating that it's so small and flexible and you could still um, manipulate the heart rate 
like or fix the heart rate activity uh, because right now the implants are not so flexible and so small and sometimes like are you also planning to do some sort of defibrillator type of yeah this is this uh, is device? Yeah, this is pretty much it this is pretty much uh, where we're going to i didn't highlight all of the parts of the work we also made like even smaller arrays because you know single measurements is good but we need the whole array to use to sort of map let's say if you have an array of 34 or 64 32 64 devices for example right you can map the whole propagation of the ap within the heart and you can detect the small vertexes of where deficiency of the heart pacing happens and then stimulate from the electrodes that's closer to there then another alternative actually i believe there are also some uh, optical methods to detect this okay maybe not in vivo but uh, at least ex vivo you know for research purposes there are optical ways uh, optical and fluorescent ways to measure this uh, to see this ap propagation throughout the heart and this is another advantage of the graphene that it can actually be used with together with the methods. You can have gold, but then uh, gold is not transparent, so you cannot really correlate these two measurements at the same time. And then also another uh, advantage here of graphene is also uh, MRI uh, transparent, so you can use it for other kind of imaging, you know, in uh, complementary together with other kinds of imaging like MRI. Yeah, I think it's really interesting also to be more precise where you would give a pulse and how much because current defibrillators, you know, in my family, we have like Brugada syndrome, like mm -hmm. the sudden death. Um, current defibrillators sometimes do more damage than they would sometimes need when they get triggered because they kind of just you know give the highest pulse um just in case but a more precise device like this right would be better yeah, yeah. i think would... this this kind of cardiac defibrillators are probably one of the best sort of success stories for any implantables but there is also a long way to go with advancing them they're far from being advanced yeah, but you know, I'm glad you you're working on it. And the the tattoos for the blood pressure, we had the sleep uh, scientist here that developed this this mattress, this special mattress with different types of temperatures because sleep is very important. But also, he mentioned that um the important time point to measure blood pressure is at night when people are sleeping. And I think your device, like your tattoo is really good because it's really not comfortable to sleep with um, with some sort of external device. Yes, yes definitely. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for bringing this up. This is really another advantage of the graphene tattoos. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. I want to give other people an opportunity to speak with you. So, yeah, Dr. Shah, please go ahead. Yeah, thank you so much, Dimitris. Absolutely, that was a fascinating work. And uh, out of all of my questions, uh, I was uh, wondering to ask you about the drug testing. So I'm just assuming because we have a technology right now that we can track the, for example, 
uh, byproduct of the uh, opioids, for mm -hmm. example, uh, and we are using the graph. And but another important thing that you just mentioned in between your slide is about nerve implants and using of your technology. So we know that should we think about the, for example, uh, biosynapses and transition in the synapses, and how uh, did you just going through the different resources that they are talking about the using of the graph and for example for the nerve implants mm -hmm. do you have further information well uh this is actually something i am um, i really think there is a good uh application of that especially since i started doing this on heart implants and i really what i mean where i am right now is actually looking for collaborators who are doing this somebody willing to just give a try and and use this you know within their standard routines so right now i'm in the process of looking for collaborators for that and as much as up to my knowledge these devices don't exist yet nobody has done this yet and i'm really interested in yes and that. one of the problem is toxicity of the graph and then we know about the nerve implants that they they had the testing is the graph and is uh for example, a, a blood-brain barrier and moving from the blood-brain yes. barrier. Yes. That's why I just asked you about yeah. the okay. the, advantages the, no, yeah, versus this is, disadvantages. This is great. Thank you actually for bringing this up. So I wanted to mention the biotoxicity and, and uh, yes, there has been a lot of works on saying that graphene is toxic, and but the, the, it has been a really big misconception and I think it's uh, it, it is very unfortunate. The problem is what the part of graphene, let's say graphene has at least 10 different versions of it. There are graphene oxide, there are graphene flakes, and there are graphene nanoflakes. The works in the very beginning, what people have done, they had graphite powders that has been resuspended in water or in any solvent. And then they had this small flakes of graphene that is, you know, imagine atomically thin, uh in one dimension and then something like 20 by 20 nanometers or it's even less than a micron in another dimension and then they put the solution into the cells and clearly they have been absorbed by the cells you can take silicon you can take cloth you can have aluminum you can have anything of these dimensions and it will be cytotoxic just because of the dimension mainly and this is the, the biggest misconception there that now everyone thinks that uh, graphene could be toxic. The way that the, what we use is so-called CVD-grown graphene. It is still one atom thing uh, in one dimension, but it is grown literally six by six inch. And it is supported by a polymer, a very thin polymer. So none of this graphene is actually going into the blood. It's not going into the tissue. It's not flowing anywhere. And this is the case with most of the other electronic grade 2D materials. That's what I'm sort of trying to differentiate between flakes, suspensions, and electronic grade 2D materials. I see. So, but in combination with some of the, for example, other polymers like nafion, mm -hmm. it might get some results. I get it, what you're talking about. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, of course, yeah. There, there's been a lot of work on this, you know, mixing graphene nanoparticles with other polymers and then uh, using them. So, but yeah, in our case, it is entirely biocompatible. So like potentially using it for the nerve implants, that would be a, a great application in my opinion. I think there were some questions in the in the chat as well. 
there are definitely questions in the chat. I had I had some questions. Uh, first, I want to say thank you for the presentation and the inclusion of the QR codes in the presentation. I think I've looked at at least a hundred or so recently, and um, you're the only you're one of one hundred <laughs> in terms of integration of QR I'm glad, codes. I'm glad that works. Just I'm, I'm using my phone right now, so I thought, how how can I make it easier for people with their phones? Yeah, that's a, that, that was a great touch. Um, I was curious, one, if you've ever tested these devices while on your own homebrew. Have we tested on the homebrew? Yeah, when you <laughs> when you make your own beer, have you ever worn, have you ever worn these devices? Well, I, I believe these two projects are not really compatible, <laughs> unfortunately. <laughs> Well, no, I mean, uh, so I was potentially curious. you could use it for some kind of biosensing. There are a lot of, we have also done a lot of biosensing using graphene tattoos. Not graphene, not the tattoos, but using graphene uh, sensors. We have another work hopefully coming out soon on uh, on, on, on using graphene tattoos or graphene devices, graphene transistors to measure COVID and flu, actually. Oh, wow. Um... Do you want to talk about that at all? That um, I would rather <laughs> maybe not at this point. Sure, yeah. no problem. I was curious about the degradation time for, for the tattoos. You had mentioned that they could be scratched off, but I was curious if they were absorbed by the skin and how you would even look for that. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, the, in one of the initial works, uh, a person has been wearing them for seven days was a very consecutive, very thorough monitoring. Nothing has been absorbed by the skin, but they start to sort of wear off, you know, especially if you go to shower or just scratch them off. Then uh, it's pretty easy to even pick them up. So if you want to pick them up, you just use like a scotch tape, stick them on the skin and just remove it. Oh, wow. Okay. That's a very, yeah, I mean, that's a very efficient method of removal, huh? Yeah. <laughs> if you just print it and slip it off a piece of paper, then just take it up with um, with some tape. And also the hand grip part of your of your presentation. That's the that's the secret to hypertrophied muscles. So if you want to get looking fit, do the hand grip part <laughs> whenever you're working out. Just grip that thing. Yeah, or it could be used for uh, you know prosthetics like hand prosthetics or leg prosthetics, limb prosthetics applications. They're, they're pretty much based on the EMG signals. So, oh, go ahead. Oh, am I good? I, I, was, I was just going to ask who else had questions. Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, so real quick. So like, uh, it's pretty cool. Like really cool. Thank you. So if you can like kind of read blood pressure and even affect it in some way is it possible to like use the same technology to like uh determine like if a person is still alive you know what i'm saying like there's like a lot of like dangerous jobs where communication isn't always like possible but if you could have something that could transmit you know and like maybe your even your blood your uh your, your pulse or something it could be like you know a signal of like this person's still alive. You know what I'm saying? Is, is that yeah. possible with a Yeah, this is like this is definitely possible. I mean, if you don't have blood pressure, you're definitely there is a, a mortal mortality sign. Uh, but uh, clearly, I mean, 
it could be a little bit of an overkill for this specific application. What I mentioned earlier, there is a very simple way of measuring your heart activity, electrocardiogram, and you can just have these graphene tattoos that see somewhere around your chest. You can wear them and there are devices, very simple devices that connects to your phone or, you know, wirelessly. And, you know, if there is a problem with the, your heart rate or, you know, the heart rate dropped or disappeared, that would be your uh, signal in the case. Yeah, go ahead, Abbas. I wanted to say Abbas had the question. Oh, thanks, Kat. Uh, hi, Dimitri. Um, really great work. Um, really great presentation. Uh, this kind of takes me back because like, um, when you're doing biomedical engineering, the first thing you're asked to do when you're studying instrumentation is design an ECG mm -hmm. and um, uh, sort of doing the Eindhoven um, triangle to essentially measure that. So yeah, um, but it's it's really cool that it can be miniaturized to this level. And uh, um, I, I see lots of prospects to, to this work. Um, that being said, I do have a couple of questions for you. So the first one is that um, you you demonstrated, or at least like, I think you had a plot about the impedance um, mm -hmm. based on um, different types of materials, but skin is actually um, not, I mean, the conductance of skin is not always constant. Oh, yeah. Like you always have like, uh, you know, sweat, Sweat essentially actually messed up the you know your impedance measurement. So I'm just wondering if you consider that, and if you have seen the interpersonal variability when it comes to skin impedance um, to actually accurately measure uh, blood pressure. Yes. So first of all, yes, this is really great technical question. I love it. Um, there is a really big variation, let's say, between person to person, or at least maybe not huge, but there is a variation between person to person when you measure impedance. And even within the same person, if if it has been dehydrated or then if somebody had like uh, drunk maybe two liters of water, you would see some difference in that. Um, with that said, so first, when we measured impedance, we did it on five to seven subjects, I believe, and it was in a radio devices and there was a... Uh, uh, you know, it was a very statistically uh, uh, large number of measurements that was done to sort of get the average there, and it sort of still follows the trend. Then when it comes to blood pressure, it actually doesn't matter. What I mentioned, we use this four-point impedances, a four-point measurement system that we inject the current on the outer devices and measure the voltage on the inner ones. So that means we bypass the skin impedance, we really bypass the, the interface, and we only measure the tissue part. Now, that is as well also whatever is constitution of the tissue of the subject and uh, what is it, say, even dimension of the artery, how good is their artery, how good is their uh, blood propagation. That is also very individualistic, yes. And this is exactly why, you know, when we build this blood pressure model, right now at least, it is done per subject individually. So for each subject, there is an individual model. And uh, it is within, I would say, the next research 
and development question to make this model more general. But we just need the data and we need more subjects, we need access to clinical studies and this is what's going on right now. Got it. Actually, you kind of touched upon what was supposed to be my second question, which is um, um, when you create this, uh, I guess like we, in optics, we call it the banana, but I think it's probably the same thing where you can actually pass current to reach out to the arteries where you can measure the volume change. Mm -hmm. um, so how do you kind of assure that to essentially, you know, reach out to like the arteries because the the reason why I'm saying that uh, is that arteries are usually um, deep within the body structure. That's one thing, and also you have you can potentially have like uh, uh, an EMG signal mm -hmm. messing up your 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 you know the signal that you want to inquire from yeah. blood pressure, and um, uh, yeah. So those things those things considered, I like how do you assure yeah. that you're getting the the right kind of signal? Yes, fantastic technical question as well. So. Um, I guess there are a few levels to, to answer that. First, we when we place the graphene tattoos, we measure location of the artery, at least uh, roughly for each subject. You can use this Doppler thingy, you know, and, uh, and monitor where your blood, uh, where your artery is. Then we sort of mark it a little bit. So when we place the tattoos, we know that we place them on top of the artery or over it. And then when you when we do the measurements, we're also right now focusing specifically on using the current with the frequency of 10 kilohertz. There has been a lot of studies on that before to try to figure out, you know, which frequency of the current that is more specific to certain areas or certain parts of the you know skin or, or the tissue. So we're using this 10 kilohertz because it's one of the most sensitive part. Uh, and then when you inject the current, right, the current typical, it's a Kirov flow or the law of current flow, it would flow on the lowest conduction path, right? You can have multiple paths, but there is a lowest conduction, it will go there. Blood and the artery is the lowest conduction part there. So all the muscles, tissue, fat, uh anything else that can still be there at the top of the skin specifically they are more impeding they are more resistive elements so the artery is the lowest conduction part so whatever the current we inject we do have a stimulation for that but it's, i believe over 90 percent so majority of the current will go through the artery and to bypass was also a very good question on the emg signals so, right, we measure, we, we inject the signal at 10 kilohertz, and then there is a lot of hardware and software filters that are done afterwards to detect the um, low frequency signals, but we are, anyway, we're bypassing this EMG signal. So we're not, we might be having them in there, but because of the hardware and software filtering, we are removing them. So they are not anyhow affecting the signal. Got it. Thank you. I do have a couple more questions, but since we have more people in the audience, I'll um, yield my time. Um, I see Katie Joyce um, 
Mona Manipani, do, do you have questions? I think Kaka was before me and PTR order. I think you can go ahead. I think Kirko asked in between. So Okay, thank you. Um hi Dimitri. Um I'm from the UK, fascinated by what you're doing. I've been looking at putting together um wearable technology that will pick up a multitude of different um uh, parameters across the body um, and in the same way I've been using things like uh, the Vegas watch technologies um, other technologies that can uh, look at glands like the pineal gland um, mainly because I'm one of these long COVID sufferers which means that uh, my blood sugar's all over the place, blood pressure's all over the place blood <laughs> everything's all over the place and I'm looking to try and help um, sufferers going forward, of which there are already, you know, several, well, 14.1 million in, in the US. And this sort of stuff that you're doing fascinates me. However, I've got a few questions, if I could. So somebody mentioned, obviously, the problem, a slight problem with the toxicity being anaphylactic for some people, particularly those with asthma or eczema. And we have a correlation that the people generally who suffer from long COVID are likely more predisposed to have come from an asthmatic um, or certainly a, a respiratory allergic background. Um, that slightly concerns me. In your test, it says that you only did it on seven people. Did any of those seven people have any background in asthma or a respiratory allergic condition? Yes, well, I honestly, I don't think I could even disclose this information, if, even if I knew, <laughs> uh, because of the uh, IRB and human subject uh, documentation. And, you know, we have to be very specific about all the human subject work that's, uh, that's been done. But um, again, so like <laughs> what I want to reiterate on the devices that we're having they are not, we don't have any graphene flakes that flying off. So nobody is really inhaling the pieces of graphene as it has been done in those works that I, I'm aware of and I, I believe you're referring to. So this is a completely different okay. type of material, you know, like it's the same as asbestos, right? It's the same as any material. If you make it flaky and small and let's say resuspended in air or water, you can make it toxic just because of the dimensional effect. Um, the material that we are using okay. is really atomically thin. It doesn't come off, doesn't get absorbed into the skin. It just stays there. We remove it and that's it. So like, nothing. So there is, uh, we have seven people in this study, but we have tested it for over 50 people, I believe in the, in the last uh, four years that I'm here. Nobody complained on, uh, I don't know, skin problems or skin irritation or any other health problems. We didn't have that. Okay, so the other thing is in the UK, we're doing um, experiments at the moment uh, based on Yang's study, particularly with e-skin mm -hmm. and even using graphene as the conductor that it is to actually power energy through solar powered e-skins. I know this sounds... Um, well, 
it sounds futuristic because it is, but we've had solar powered graphene skin uh, used with prosthetics mm -hmm. in the UK. Um, and I'm just thinking about the opportunity to combine that sort of e-skin that Yang used in his own uh, sort of blood pressure monitoring technology, um, obviously with, you know, using uh, graphene, as, graphene oxide mm -hmm. as part of that, but actually using it in addition to prosthetics. Yeah. Is that something you've looked at? Well, I, that's not something we specifically looked at, but it sounds feasible, definitely. You might want to tune the, the flakes that you're using, maybe to have them more conductive and it could be done in the same manner in in a more agglomerated way you know complex yeah yeah so um just to say i found an experiment in the uk um that was that fascinates me i'm not a qualified scientist by any means but it's talking about what i'm because like you can say i'm looking at electromagnetic waves and frequencies and radiation there's an article um by uh kai Taek lim pulsed electromagnetic field assisted reduced graphene oxide substrates for multi-differentiation of human stem cells and it actually used the same sort of technology that you're talking about in it um but obviously uh in a way that we can use the electromagnetic fields with the graphene that you're using in the prosthetics potentially with the solar and to me this seems like an, an amazing uh potential innovation yeah it sounds um, fascinating have you so, done anything have you looked at it um not really you know like a lot of this work there are a lot of very different aspects and you know uh if there is a specific lab on something very difficult you know to just you can't just simply reproduce what other working on so it's best to collaborate for example so ensure it no we haven't looked into that but it does sound exciting it does sound exciting yeah thank you very much for your time thank you mona did you have a question yeah so a part of it you abyss asked um so you answered that part but my so i have like two questions mm -hmm. one is um the first one is these tattoos, you said that they were able to cause um, defib like, uh, defibrillate a shockable arrhythmia. Um, I wanted to know, like, does it automatically do that? It detects it and then it, it corrects the whatever, you know, ir irregular heart oh, rate or be, arrhythmia. And then it's... <laughs> that would be our goal, let's say, in a longer term. Right now, it is, you know, everything in the R&D phase, uh, it is something you do in the lab. So you, we, we, we do have, we could measure and stimulate at the same time, but it's still all, let's say, in the lab condition. So there is, of course, some lag in there, but uh, it is possible to do the same. I mean, what, what I've shown, it was done on the same rat, right? So in the same rat, we measured it very quickly. We figured out that there is a problem, well, it was chemically induced uh, AV block, and then we could stimulate while measuring it. So it is possible to do at the same time, uh, but it's definitely not a full scale product yet. Okay, and then my last question is, uh, I guess for practical purposes, like if a person is wearing this and they're, let's say at a high altitude, for example, an airplane and they, have maybe an arrhythmia or something would it be able to in that context like correct it and alert you know medic that's a good question i have to say i haven't thought about it thinking about it now i would say it should not matter 
because the measurements are fully electrical measuring and stimulation. So the altitude should not affect that. Yeah. Okay, thank you. Thank you for answering my abstract yeah. question. Yeah, if uh, nobody has a question, I know Abyss has probably some more questions. So, and they are usually quite interesting. So, would you still have a few minutes, Dimitri? Yeah, of course. Yeah, happy to talk. Thank you so much. Abyss, do you want to go ahead? Oh, thank you, Kat. Uh, yeah, so my question was, was actually on the sort of like the production phase because like the, you're basically prototyping mm -hmm. it, but since you're using um, chemical vapor, vapor dep deposition, I'm just wondering if that's, if you think that that's probably a way um, to kind of mass produce these kind of, um, these kind of products, or do you um, go for something like a etching process that is more kind of refined in a way? So, um, yeah. Yeah. Um... I have to say, I think it is the way, and uh, this is the way. Um, uh, it is a way of producing the highest quality of graphene that you can do, considering all the thickness, conformability, and optical properties. We got to stick to it. And graphene has, as well, been notoriously expensive for over, let's say, last decade, but it has also been getting cheaper and cheaper. So if you look into it right now, you can get a one by one centimeter graphene, CVD grown, high scale, 100% uh, monolayer, high quality electronic grade graphene for something like 50 cents per centimeter square. Um, and this is still not the limit. I mean, there are a lot of companies that are doing that and they have the capacity to to increase the production rate, hence decrease the price. They just need the industries to pick up. You know, you need the, somebody to be interested in this scale before they can go into this larger scale to reduce the price. So it is already rather um, affordable. We are not growing the graphene ourselves. I would be spending all my time on just growing graphene in the, in the scale that we are using it. So we're just buying it and it's, uh, it's expensive in a way, but it's uh, it's quite affordable as well. Yeah. How much I think you should take it to Europe, considering it can generate its own electricity. With Europe's price of electricity, <laughs> <laughs> you'd be very popular, Dimitri. Yeah. How, how much are the 3D printers? Like, how precise do they have to be? You're laying down one or two layers, or maybe three layers of material. What, uh, what's the cost of a 3D printer for this? So it's, uh, it, it is not made using a 3D printer. So the graphene is grown. So it's like, it's a chemical vapor deposition growth. So it is grown on a, a film of copper. So I can imagine you have like a thin film of copper, like dimension of your, and the, pretty much the quality of your A4 paper sheet, pretty much, but it's copper. And it's just grown. So like it's put in the chamber, it's filled in a high vacuum. It gets the um, some carbon-containing gas, temperature, vacuum, and then at some point the magic happens, and you have the graphene grown on top of the copper. And then we do the transfer from the copper into 
PMMA and tattoo paper. That makes sense. What? Uh, how long does that take? Uh, the transfer itself uh, doesn't take that long. I mean, it's it doesn't take much time. Well, it takes time, but it doesn't take effort, if that makes sense. So there are a lot of waiting and drying, waiting kind of steps in between. So uh, there is actually, uh, we do have a, a full nature protocols paper on that, like, you know, step by step, how to go from how to get all the materials that you need, how to go from commercial supply of graphene and how to make the graphene tattoos. Uh, it explains all of the steps you can do. So typically I could do, you know, from having a graphene on copper to having it on the skin, let's say within three days, but I can do this for one piece of graphene tattoo. That's let's say one by one centimeter, but in the same three days, I could do the same for few meters of the graphene tattoo. So it's very scalable. You said one day? Uh, two to three days, the whole thing. But uh, as I mentioned, yeah, there is a lot of wait time in between. It's more like two to three days with less than an hour effort. With all the wait time. Yeah, yeah got it. <laughs> that makes yeah. sense. But I mean, that's, that's, uh, that's still pretty quick. Yes, it is. It is surprisingly quick, yes. I know it's uh, far ahead, but given the retail price of an Apple Watch or some other sort of wearable ECG blood pressure type technology, have you looked forward at all into the, the actual cost of it for somebody deciding whether or not to have something more permanent like a yeah. tattoo or you get these diabetes sort of punch that you can have on your on your body? Um, you know, what's the retail sort of price comparison, do you think? Yeah, so I mean, imagine if one centimeter square of graphene would just cost you 50 cents, just the raw material, clearly we are not there yet for full industrial application. So none of the <laughs> startups that would propose that would hardly survive uh, this. It's not a great business model yet. But again, there are a lot of there are a lot of players right now emerging and in Europe as well, there's graphenia. There is uh, Grotex in the U.S. that, you know, grow graphene. There are a lot of companies coming in right now and making biosensors with the graphene. So there is a demand right now. The demand is increasing. So the price would be lowered over the next few years, I would say, by at least an order of magnitude. And it would be more affordable than... If somebody was having a titanium prosthetic, sorry, uh, sorry, Abyss. If somebody was having a prosthetic anyway, like a, a titanium um, disc, I've got two in the back of my neck. Could I come along and say, can you attach it to my titanium prosthetic that's already there um, instead of having to have this in addition? Is it something that, you know, you could sort of have as an add-on? Probably, yes. Yeah. I'm not sure what would be the case use for that, but hypothetically, there wouldn't be a problem to put a graphene tattoo on it. But if somebody is having a prosthetic piece of metal in their body anyway, and they have a chance to have something that will monitor their blood pressure and, and other you know, useful uh, parameters, I, I think there would be a good argument yeah, for well, it. Yeah, well, it all depends you know, on the placement and what you can do with this specific location. So. You know, for blood pressure, we need to place the tattoo specifically over the artery. For heart activity, you need a specific location. So if the location of these electrode placements makes sense for the application that's in mind, 
Yes, that would be feasible. So pacemakers, for example, pacemakers, would they be okay? Well, if you pacemakers, if you have your this implant nearby your heart, yes, that would make sense. But if it's in the leg, that's not really a heart pacemaker, right? Thank you. I guess like um, my last points were supposed to be some somehow comments as opposed to questions. So the first one being that I think this would be a great technology to look into arterial stenosis. So basically, if you have like a blockage of our artery or arterials in your in your lens or any other place, I think these devices can pick it up much better than. Um, other imaging techniques or even before applying imaging techniques. So I think, uh, yeah. I don't know. I mean, I, it, 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 it is how, way more complex, uh, but it, it is very interesting. I agree. Yes, it is very medically relevant. Yes. Right. And I guess you kind of touched upon this about toxicity because early on in your, in your slides, I saw antimony, antimony selenium selenate i think um sheets so these are sort of like chemicals that you really don't want um to yes to yes so those two so, materials but, but could be still in question yes right but since you're layering those with um um at least a biofriendly polymer i think that's probably a safe way to go but yeah um Thanks for answering my questions. So this has been really interesting. Of course, yeah, thank you. Thank you for the questions. Sorry, last question. Photothermal technology or the use of um, has come up in a couple of the papers with uh, similar um, examples of people trying to do this type of blood pressure and, and other monitoring, um, which obviously would be far less in, intrusive um, in the same way, you can hold a thermometer using uh, digital uh, waves, somebody's forehead in an airport before they go out with a fever or a COVID. Is it something that perhaps, you know, you think might, well, might be better than, than what you're currently doing? Has it not been uh, capable of being done? I don't know. Is, is, it, is there a problem with doing blood pressure through photothermal technology? So, yeah, I'm not familiar with that photothermal technology you're referring to. I'll be happy to, to check out the work. Um, I mean, honestly, I have to say, you know, any technology that could do this, I would be very much welcome to any market, you know. You can even look actually on the market. There are a few startups that are trying to address this problem. And, you know, the fact that we are working and the fact that many people are still working on that, means it is really one of the biggest problems in the modern medicine. I mean, we're still working, we're still using this cuff-based uh, measurement system that has been developed over years ago, more than 100 years ago. Um, you know, you go to doctors, the doctor office, they still use this cuff technology. So literally any device, any kind of approach that could actually do this on a long term, uh that would that would be the game changer 
Yeah, I just think it's brilliant. The idea, we've got very low medical resources worldwide, globally, we're struggling with nurses, doctors, all the rest of it. We've got people very heightened anxiety levels, particularly with what we've been through in the last couple of years, to give people the ability, we know wearable technology has gone through the roof, to give people the ability to have something that would read their vitals and also alert them when the trend is bucked, so to speak, I just think it'd be amazing. And I really am grateful to listen to you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for your questions as well. Uh, Terry had the question. Um, Terry, go ahead. Thank you very much for inviting me up on the stage or having me up on the stage. Um, interesting stuff. Always uh, interested in uh, the future of materials and the work going on with that. Uh, the company I'm working with right now, again, we were uh, looking at certain graphene type materials. I was wondering, um, real quick, LIDAR does a lot of things somebody mentioned optothermal or photothermal technology lidar is going to fill a lot of the gaps in especially with medical technology because it does allow a lot of the things you're talking about today uh, a mixture of infrared sensoring and small electrical impulse sensoring in one device mm -hmm. lidar okay so that's one of the things i don't know if anybody you're familiar with that i'm assuming everybody is but I was going to ask uh, the doctor, um, I put a comment in the chat thing too about other materials that are maybe more uh, useful, especially in human uh, machine interfaces, if you will. Mm -hmm. uh, um, phosphorine, borophene, things like that. Uh, whether or not you've done anything with those and how large of a piece i know you mentioned one of your processes before but how large of a piece of this material that you're working this particular set of boring mm -hmm. i'm sorry Griffin. uh yeah, yeah. um I'll, yeah okay sorry you know what i mean yeah. i appreciate your time it sounds really interesting i'm gonna look forward to sharing your uh your work with uh, the rest of the people at work tomorrow. So thank yeah, you. Thank you. Yeah. So classically, you know, the graphene tattoos that we're working using right now, you know, the ones that placed on the skin, we can make them from anything, let's say from three by three millimeters, maybe even two by two millimeters up to two by two meters. Okay. Maybe two by two meters is too much, but it's a two by two inch very easily. So it all depends on application. Classically, we have something like uh, five by five millimeters approximately. We also make them as like circle with a, like a donut shape. So they survive flexing of the skin. Uh, so in terms of variables, these are the dimensions that we're working on with right now. Um, to the other materials uh, from what you mentioned, yes, there are a lot of these, you know, boronines, phosphorines um, that could fill in some applications. Uh, they have bigger bang gap compared to graphene. Well, graphene doesn't have a bang gap. So yes, they could be used for some kind of uh, optical or LED application. You could maybe imagine like LED within the skin. Maybe you can have like a display in your skin, like in all those futuristic movies, right? Um, but then there are some problems with this 2D material. So first of all, as I mentioned, I, I, we have cleared the name, I hope I have cleared the name of graphene as a biocompatible material. Uh, the, the problem with some of these materials such as boronin specifically and phosphorine 
is not that they are not biocompatible, it's that they are, some of them are actually not stable on air these days. So there is a lot of material science that still has to come into that. Some of them just, you know, once you're exposed to air in the environment, they degrade pretty quickly. So this is the, the there are really nice and flashy publications, uh, but you know all this works and electronic properties and this kind of stuff is measured in vacuum in in a glow box with special environment. So there is a lot of material research to be done. And then to the question of usefulness or I'd say better usefulness compared to graphene, um, it has to come in a complex, in my opinion, depending what you want to do. So graphene is, it's hard to beat graphene in terms of combination of thickness, transparency, and transpar uh, conductance, conductivity, and electrical properties. Very hard to beat it on that, uh, on that side. Then if you want to build maybe whole circuits of devices, right? Not, let's say, not just have a sensor there, but also have a few transistors, uh, signal amplifiers, and maybe RF communication chip. It's all part of the skin or it's all part of the tattoo. That is a different question. And then you need to use other materials such as uh, molybdenum sulfide, that's a transistor so you can make a circuit. So it all comes in the complex of um, of the application that you want to build, I believe. Thank you very much. That you're, what you're telling us is, you know, pretty much what we're looking at for the the, the, uh, the wave transmission transmissibility properties mm -hmm. of those materials. So, it's it's um, yeah. uh, we're just looking forward to more advancements in it. So you know, keep at it. Uh, the more uh, the the better resolution we get with the surfaces that you guys are working on, the better off we're going to be because you know we can get down to the to the one atom level, especially in a non-volatile environment, then we can do a lot more stuff with those materials than we're able to do now, especially, as you mentioned, with high high uh, high frequency complex signals. Yes. Yeah. Instead of you know, we can do we can do some some amazing things with uh, with uh, uh, deformations of those particular products to give us the these these all kinds of really cool frequency effects and things like that. So. Uh, again, I'm going to step back into the uh, audience and thank you very much. We're going to we're going to keep an eye on what you're doing. And uh, we might get a, you might get a call for us for some for some free samples. So thank you. <laughs> of course, we'll be happy to. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much. I think, um, yep. Yeah. You um, offered us a lot of time and um, answered a lot of our questions and your work is really fascinating and I agree also for, um, you know, people that are suffering from different, you know, paralysis and ALS and so on, um, you know, homeostasis is a big issue. Yeah. Uh, paralyzed people and having this monitors and maybe some feedback loop um, that can stabilize like um, maybe hopefully one day blood pressure because blood pressure is a, also a huge issue in people that are paralyzed to so keep blood pressure up so um, uh, you know yeah there are, there um, are a lot of really specific um, medical applications on that yeah yeah so I think, you know, your research is, um, 
you know, making a way or a path for hopefully in the future to have this uh, feedback loop regulations um, for people with different disorders. So thank you so much for doing this work and for using your um, smart brain for, for this. <laughs> And and uh, yeah, hopefully you'll come back with updates one day, uh, maybe when you published the paper you were talking about with the biosensors, maybe you have time yeah, we'll be happy to, to come to. back yes, and definitely. that would be wonderful. And um, thanks everyone for coming, asking questions, participating. Um, if you like discussions like this, we have Actually, tomorrow, uh, leukemia research uh, room, uh, but at a different time at 2.30 p.m. EST. And um, we'll have more rooms next week about um, astrocytes as a computational unit, glioblastoma, brain invasion, how that works, uh, 3D printed biomimetric artificial muscles, and um, goal-directed and habitual behaviors. And then Dr. Michael Levine um, from Tufts, he is coming back. I don't know if you know um, the researcher that did the Xenobots. He's coming back the third time, actually, and sharing what's currently going on in his lab and even sharing stuff that he didn't publish yet. So that's uh, next week, Friday. So we... Uh, yeah, thank you everyone for coming and special thanks, Dimitri. We wish you all the funding and all the luck uh, for your projects. They are really important, I think, for future solving a lot of issues for a lot of uh, people out there. And um, thank you again for coming and sharing your time with us. Yeah, thank you. I was really happy to and glad to present my work here. Thank you for inviting Thank you, everybody. Thank you. Thank you. Was happy to see everyone. <laughs> okay, bye, everyone. Have a good night. Bye. Bye. Three, two. Thank you. Bye, everyone. Bye.